0: How can I have all of these qualifications and this industry expertise and publications that aren't just education specific and still not even get an interview?
1: And now... (laughs) Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous everybody's hitting off like bfs chris and christine show hey what's happening how are you doing today thank you so much for being here and i am chris
0: and i'm christine and welcome to episode 163 of the chris and christine show
1: oh fantastic it feels so good to be back in the captain's chair
0: in the captain's chair? Is that what you call it? Like, you have to be in charge now?
1: Well, actually, I'm second place to the queen bee sitting right here in the uh, captainette's chair over here.
0: Captainette? Why can't I be a captain?
1: Well, isn't captain for our fellows?
0: No. Captain is gender neutral. It is? Yeah. Captain is gender neutral, just like an actor is gender neutral.
1: Uh, okay, I, I'll give you there. I'll give you that yep. one. Yeah, so
0: you don't have to be in the captain's chair. Maybe I'm on the captain's couch. <laughs> the captain's That's kind of inappropriate. Sorry, everybody. Yes, the <laughs> captain's
1: couch coming to a theater near you.
0: <laughs> well, we are glad to be back. Thanks so much for giving us grace over the next couple or the last couple of weeks. I was traveling for a week, and then we took a week off to celebrate my birthday, and now we are back. And back at it, it was like our own little micro spring break.
1: Um. Yeah, unfortunately, though, the rain was it was pounding San Diego and all of Los Angeles. There wasn't much sunshine at all to be what I think of spring break. I think of like sunshine and margaritas and sandy beaches. Did you ever
0: actually go on spring break? shots
1: and, you know, all that fun? fantastic. Have you stuff. ever
0: actually gone on a spring break trip?
1: Yeah, I went to the beach. Yeah, I've gotten out of the beach here, obviously. No, you
0: know. like like spring break. Have you done spring break before?
1: No, but I used to watch it on television. <laughs> That's why
0: you have these these things. I used to
1: watch all of those like documentaries of spring break, spring break on wild, you know, all the fun stuff <clears throat> like that, you know.
0: Documentaries, like, no, funumentaries.
1: <laughs> yeah, some it might have been in the adult section of the video story, but. It- <laughs> Anyway, family
0: friendly. Podcast. What I'm saying
1: is that I used to love all those pre- spring break of adventures, you did. and I was like, I gotta do that one of these days, you know.
0: So your only understanding of what spring break is is from uh, watching it through the television.
1: Yeah, pretty much. That's you what, actually, that's how I watch all of my thing. My that's how I learned so much about all these different cultures around the world is just watching you on the Travel Channel. <laughs>
0: Well, those probably weren't on the Travel Channel. Let's be real. They're probably on MTV or something like that. In fact,
1: a little fun fact. I remember one year in high school, they actually had the MTV um, Party Spring Break House. This big festival they did every year. And one year, they actually had it here at Mission Beach in San Diego.
0: Yeah, I would believe that because Spring Break in San Diego could probably be a bit crazy. But it's probably even crazier, like, on the other side of the border. Oh, you mean in Tijuana? Like, what are you... You're being so weird today, Tijuana. <laughs> hey,
1: make fun of me now. Come well, on.
0: Dude, you're easy to make fun of. You're an easy target today. Well, I
1: just throw a lob ball up there. You just smack my little heart.
0: Oh my gosh. Speaking of making fun of, so <laughs> it was so funny tonight. We were um sitting at the dinner table having dessert I made. Uh, cherry pie. (laughs) We were all sitting around. Um, The boys were at the table. So the two littles plus Chris were at the table while I was scooping up some cherry pie and some ice cream. And oh my gosh, we were teasing Mason. It's, you know, he was just being a goofball tonight, but here's what he was like really wanting to have a piece of cherry pie. And I was like, well, I'm going to have you taste it first before I cut you a slice because I want to make sure you like it so we don't end up wasting it because Mason is notoriously our super picky, very picky eater. Picky very eater. picky eater. and We've been trying to work on that. Uh, but Chris, I gave him a scoop, uh, like a little um, dollop of the cherry pie filling and like some little flakes of the pie crust on a spoon. And I just said like, here, you know, take a bite of it. And he put it in his mouth and he would like gave this like grunched up old man like grumpy old man face like he was absolutely disgusted with cherry pie and he was like oh this is not so taste he, good he
1: didn't eat any of it at all
0: no i, he I didn't just like gave it him, at all no and here's the funny part i was like mason but you said you wanted to try it like i don't understand and he's like well i don't like cherries and i was like but it's cherry pie mason And he's like well i thought it was gonna taste like something different than cherries and then jacob and i were there and we started busting up laughing and poor mason he like started to like tear up a little bit but it was so funny in that moment because it's like literally cherry pie and i went to give it to him and then he was like but i thought it was gonna taste like something different like you know how like Pie sometimes tastes like different things. And I was like, apple pie tastes like apples, Mason chocolate no pie way. tastes like chocolate. And he's like, well, I thought it would like taste different. So anyways, he got ice cream and whipped cream tonight. But that that was so funny. I don't know what he
1: thought it tastes like. I like, don't gummy know Gummy bears either. And, and tricks, maybe. I have no I, idea.
0: I don't know. Sour Patch Kids and Sunshine and Rainbows. I don't know. But um, you and him are both easy targets. I don't make fun of Mason typically, but do I, yes, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't. Poor little feller. I, well, you and Jacob definitely pick on him. I don't, but it was one of those moments. And then he started laughing too. And it was, it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah. You got to get him a flip around because, uh, when kids get very, he gets very emotional, very upset. Like well, we all, we all like do. Like I do. Like you do. We, everybody really gets really upset. Sometimes one, you know, sometimes one or another. But
0: really, I, you don't. You, know. Um, yeah, I do. On you the, get mad, on the but inside. not at like when you get teased. You just make fun of yourself even more.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's fine, you know.
0: But yeah, you got to be able to like flip it around because I was afraid he was going to start crying, and I was like, oh, we got to get him to laugh too because it was it was a funny moment. It's like cherry pie. I don't know. You had to be there.
1: You know, I think kids do actually get over things fairly quickly when it comes to stuff like that. You know, fun little, you know, jokes and fun stuff and, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think they do. At least our kids do for sure. But um, yeah, we've just been spending time with the kiddos and um, they're all getting ready for spring break. I was up with Ezekiel last weekend and we had a really great time spending quality time together for my birthday.
1: Yeah. Christy had a birthday recently. Woo, woo. How old are you now? 27? 27. 27. Yep. How does it feel to be almost knocking on the door of thirty? Yeah, you know?
0: twenty-seven with an eighteen-year-old. That doesn't the math <laughs> doesn't make sense. Well, in some
1: countries, you maybe. know, I'm I just know.
0: aging backwards. Isn't some
1: countries I heard uh, years ago that you get married when you're ten years old? Is that true? Like some uh, countries? Maybe I mean, there's... Africa, or something? Maybe.
0: I don't. I'm. I'm not going to go there because I don't know, and I'm not going to say things that would come across as a stereotype because I'm not going to, and so we'll just kind of like. Like the villagers, they get married when they're real young. Chris, we're going to skip over that. We're not going to stereotype. We're just going to. I'm not just saying, you know. I'm saying different strokes, different folks. Again, we're not going to talk about that. You're just, you keep trying. We're not going to talk about 10-year-old brides. It's just sad. It is very sad, you know. So we're just I mean, going to skip on over to the next topic. Or, or even
1: 27-year-old brides who got married about 8 year old kids. That's sad.
0: Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm aging backwards, you know, my gray hair. Hey, let
1: me know when you hit 30, because I want to know what it's like when I hit 30.
0: <laughs> Mentally or physically? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I'm not quite there mentally,
0: but uh, <laughs> I would, physically. I would agree with that. You know,
1: as I get older, I realize that my bones are just feel like they're brittle, like brittle pieces of glass. Now. I don't know what it is. Oh, my Everything word. hurts when you get older. It's like you get older and you just go outside and play a little bit of basketball. And next thing you know, <laughs> your shoulder hurts. Oh, your you're arm telling
0: hurts. us from personal experience today, Chris, aren't or, you?
1: Or you're going to like, I'm going to go do some batting cage hitting the ball, you know, and I'm going to swing the bat and hit the balls. And I'm going to like, check this out. This is going
0: deep. Okay. You're speaking in code. So tell everybody what you did today.
1: Well, because little Mason Jar, our youngest, is in uh, baseball for Little League, I was thinking, you know what? In the backyard, the kids like to play baseball. But our backyard isn't very big. And when Christine has- What?
0: Our backyard is very big.
1: Okay. It's not- We
0: live on a half an acre.
1: Okay. It's not like we- it's not like a big field of, of space. You know, we have a hill. We have a little grass area. And we got the uh, Christine Smith Designs workshop and the Christine Smith Designs uh, flower cooler. But the workshop has glass windows facing the area where we play, play ball. And the kids hey, like glass window. Yeah. So the kids like to hit the ball that direction. I'm thinking oh, I might hit the house or I might hit the the uh, design studio and break the window playing ball, you know, playing baseball in the backyard. And I thought, you know what? Mason really needs to work on his hitting form for his baseball. And I was like, where can I take him to go do some hitting or practice batting? Cause he does the fielding fairly good. You know, he can play catch he can catch the ball and catch, you know, fly balls and things like that. But when it comes up to bat. He's not as experienced as some of the other kids that are on this team. Cause some of the other kids on the team are like hitting like out to the outfield. And stuff. they're good you know, doing pretty good hitting. Mm-hmm. His hitting is like to the pitcher, you know, he gets on the ground to the pitcher, you know, and, so as I got like, any work on his hitting, I had this idea. What if we somehow created like this, like net thing that he can just hit the ball into full swing? It doesn't have to hit nothing. Doesn't, doesn't hit the house. Doesn't have to hit the shed or go over the hill or anything. He doesn't mm-hmm. lose any balls because he already has a batting tee. And right. I'm like, well, I went on Amazon, like literally yesterday, ordered this uh, baseball netting. It was like a 10 by 10 net. Uh, under the sporting section or something and it got delivered today like that was pretty quick
2: Mm -hmm. and so
1: today i set it up between the posts of the um patio uh, what do you call it? the uh, awning uh
0: yeah well the patio yeah we have this uh this structure no we have a structure that's built that spans the whole length of our the back of our house and it goes out like 10 feet from the house Uh, But then it's long. It's pretty long. It's like a good 35 feet long at least.
1: So I tied that thing with zip ties to the kind of the rafters of the uh, patio thing. It's kind of hanging down tied to the bottom. So we were able to use it as a backstop for the balls. We hit the balls right into it.
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool to be able to see Mason like set up his tee and practice off of the tee like full swing without having to worry about the house <laughs> or the studio getting damaged and he was having fun. But what we started off this conversation with was your old creaky bones. So why don't you tell our listeners what ended up happening once you got the net up and running?
1: Of course, I got to start swinging into it, too. You know, I'm no, like, OK, I'm sure it's done me. So.
0: No, it was it wasn't just that it was your ex-wife came over to drop off Jacob or to pick up Jacob. And you you go outside. Mason was batting. And you're like, oh, hey, hey, uh, you want to see me? And I was like, <laughs> what the heck is happening right now? It's like you're trying to do show and tell and trying to impress this other woman. It was like a totally weird situation where here I am like cooking and baking in the kitchen and I'm busy but this other individual comes over and you're like, oh, hey, oh, hey, you want to watch me bat? You want to watch me bat? i am like, that's done. What's this? No, you know, and it's I get like, up there and- what the heck? Like, why are you trying to impress her? I don't I, get I'm it. I'm not trying
1: to impress her. I'm trying to impress you. No, she's you to weren't. Be here.
0: No, you weren't. Yes, I was. Because you would not do yes, it unless she was watching you. It was so awkward. So I did with the she's first. She's like, she's your girlfriend or something. What <laughs> are you jealous of my ex-wife? Um, well, you were kind of acting odd today, Chris. You literally go, oh, hey, hey, uh, you want to watch me? You want to watch me? And then you were like, oh, are you watching? And you went out there and you were like batting. It was so bizarre. I don't understand.
1: Uh, well, I just had to show off my hitting skill. That's all like this one's out of the park. And
0: now, and you kept going and you kept going. And then afterwards I was like, honey, you're going to need to stop. You're using muscles you don't normally use. You're going to (laughs) be sore. And then you come in and then you were like, I'm going to go out and play some basketball. That's now. right. I sure did. So you went out and you were playing basketball. That's right. Yeah. And then you come in and then like well, 30 minutes ago, what did you say to me?
1: My right shoulder hurts, but it doesn't it from basketball. I no, got
0: you it. go, my right shoulder hurts. I don't know what I did, man. I was like, you were batting and I was telling you to lay off and you didn't.
1: Well, and then I think I slept wrong a lot. really, is what it no, is. No,
0: it is from batting practice. It is not from sleeping wrong. You goofball. If I, if it
1: does hurt from time to time. Right here, I think. I think it.
0: It I, is your batting arm. Okay. Uh, own it. I am. Uh, I do. I want to sell it. No, I. Do, at, yes, at I least this. it's like from something where you're not just like, oh, I just slept wrong. You, that's like old man talk. You were yes. like, oh, well, I was, you know. I was at the batting cages and playing some basketball and you know.
1: Showing these whippersnappers how it's done.
0: Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's because I'm so, like, athletic. <laughs> you know,
1: I was kind of thinking today as I'm shooting hoops in the back, in the front yard, in the court, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, we have a lot of athletic stuff here at this house. It's to keep our kids outside. Yeah, we have the basketball court in the front yard. We have now the... Batting cages, quote unquote, in the backyard. backyard. We have
0: the hot tub, which the kids use as, like, their sauna. And then they have football. We have the bike track down the hill. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, just down outside of our cul-de-sac. We have this, it's, like, right where our street opens up into is this dirt lot. It's surrounded by trees, but the neighborhood kids and their dads have made it into, like, a dirt bike track where they, like, they take their dirt bikes on the di- these different like uh, dirt jumps. But our kids love to take their bikes down there and try and like jump off of them and things like that. And it's not like dangerous or anything. They love it.
1: Right. Well, the kids that usually go to use that area, motor- motorcycles and motorbikes and things mm-hmm. like that, but you can't use like BMX style bikes and things yeah. like that. Have fun doing that. It's always great to have our kids like get off of devices and do more of the outdoor stuff the football stuff the baseball yep. stuff the playing basketball in the front yard I actually enjoy you know hearing the basketball being dribbled in the front yard and him shooting hoops and stuff like that and, and now i'll probably enjoy me and hitting the bat and not worry about him oh are you gonna hit the house is that gonna be go over the fence is that gonna go you know so i used to buy him a lot of those wiffle balls because the wiffle balls are basically plastic balls that are hollow mm-hmm. they look like a swiss cheese there's a bunch of holes around it yeah so when it hits the air it kind of slows down and they're plastic they don't really hit the house very hard um, It's funny is that he's been using his real baseball bat with those things, and guess what happens? What they break in half.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I could see that happening. <laughs> they they
1: have so many dents and they they're all broken. You know for those mm-hmm. wiffle balls and I was letting him play with those because if he hit them with the fence, whatever, or if they hit a house, doesn't break the house or break the window usually. But now that he has real baseballs, oh, and also speaking of baseballs, because I want to make sure I help Basin play pretty good baseballs, I bought myself. My very own baseball glove. Oh. Because I'm tell like, us more. I know. I said I'm playing catch with Mace in the backyard. Right, I'm saying, gosh, sign me up, coach. I can do this. Yeah. I can play. I can catch. Yeah, look at this. I haven't caught a baseball with a baseball glove since I was probably his age, I tell you not.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Well, do you think that you're gonna use that net for him to actually practice his throwing too?
1: You could. I mean, theoretically, you can throw it hit or throw anything into it. It would stop it. So, Like, should
0: he have a target, though, so that he's, like, trying mm. to be, be more precise? Because I think that's the thing with kids that are, like, younger is trying to get control over their body and, like, trying to focus on the hand-eye coordination so that it, like, gets to the place where they intended for it.
1: You know, I did see a uh, backstop with a ha- um, pitcher. It's a pitcher backstop netting system they had at, at the sporting goods store when I bought my glove at. And what it did, it had to do target right out on, on the thing and had like a fake like catcher with a fake glove. But uh-huh. glove that had, would be cool. had a target. And he are supposed to throw in the target for pitching and things like that.
0: But- yeah, I wasn't thinking so much for pitching, but he's like out in center field. And so like if he was to catch the ball... To be able to throw it that far, like, how are you working with him on that?
1: That's why I want to do the playing catch with him. And I've been playing catch, you know, from one side of the yard, to the other side of the yard. And I maybe I throw the ball a little too hard to him than he's usually used to with the other kids throwing the ball to him. But it seemed like a normal pace to me. But he was catching him pretty good for the most part. So
0: I think that our front yard is a little bit longer if you were to go along the white fence um, in the front grassy part. Maybe you could do some like playing catch out there too. But I mean, the bottom line is I love that you're getting outside with the kids and you're getting out from behind your devices because let's be honest, like father, like sons.
1: No, I don't consume content. I create it, baby.
0: No, you consume a mass amount of content. Uh,
1: Maybe YouTube in the bathroom. Well,
0: all the time, all the time. But I do love seeing you get out from behind the screens and, You know, you and the kids doing things and things like that. But what else has been new with you in terms of work, career, all of those kinds of things? You know, work's been going
1: strong. You know, work in the rain is horrible, obviously. And I always kind of wish I had a nice, cushy, warm, fuzzy office (laughs) job that I could just be inside. And the hardest part of your day is walking with your umbrellas, your car or in some people's case, walking to their parking garage, which is not yeah. <laughs> not in the rain at all. And then driving the dread the dreaded drive home to your house. Um, that sounds wonderful if you ask me, but, um, but no, I have to work rain or shine 24 seven, 365, you know, and all kinds of weather conditions. Yeah. And this rain in San Diego, it's actually I did hear that we've had more rain in, in Southern California than Seattle has had this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's, I was thinking about you last week while you were at work and especially with all of the rain. And I was thinking like how it would be just the ideal time to be able to just say to you like, Chris, quit your job. But we're not at that point. Whoa,
1: Ty, what what'd you say? I'm, I'm listening now. What?
0: No, I said we're not at that point yet. But, um, you know, with all of the rain and everything, it did make me think about like, your career, and if ever you did want to make a career move, like what would we need to do to help you prepare for that? And coming up on this week's episode, we have a fantastic guest who's going to be talking with us about how to prepare for that next step in your career. Make sure that you're putting your best foot forward, and we're going to be back with her right after this.
1: Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting, let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy.
0: And welcome back everybody. Today we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is a career coach and the owner of careertuners.com. Welcome to the show, Fatima Mirza. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you so much for that warm intro. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show. Where in the world are you joining us from today? Today, I am in Irvine, California. It's like 50 miles inland of LA.
1: Irvine, that's up the road from us.
2: Right, we're based in San Diego. So we're just a stone's throw away. That's awesome. Yeah, just the 15 South and I'll be be with you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate you being here on the show today. Chris and I have been really looking forward to this interview because you are, are a career coach and we're gonna get into that in just a little bit. But first of all, what is a little bit of your
2: background? Sure. So I started Career Tuners after helping a few friends of mine with their applications and realizing that there was a like I I know my friends. They're so brilliant. I went to school with a few of them. So I knew they were very, very capable. I knew all about their background. But when I saw their application materials, I was like, This looks like literally every other application I've ever seen. And I'm not really seeing your accomplishments shine through because, you know, we there's so much conflicting advice online about how we need to represent ourselves. But there's nobody that can look at you like no website can really look at you and say, hey, this exact step by step framework is going to work for your unique story you know, I, uh, initially I was working with younger professionals. A lot of the professionals that were working with were like pre-med that decided, you know what, I don't want to become a doctor. But when you look at their resume, it's all like pre-med, pre-med, pre-med. And they're like, well, I don't know why I'm not getting any consulting jobs. And I'm like, well, this is why because all you're focusing on is your pre-med stuff. So it's simple things like that where people you know the the big question I always get people asking Wow, I could do that like I could write it that way I didn't even know that I could just do that and you know helping people kind of think outside the box in terms of their experience while still making sure that their story looks very traditional and is kind of the narrative that people are used to seeing so that it doesn't feel like jarring and you know like marketing and and kind of slimy Mm -hmm. uh, that's me because it's it's just about giving people that confidence to tell their story in a way that resonates more with whoever they're telling it to whether it's the interviewer their boss if they're positioning themselves for for a promotion even their team, if they're trying to make their projects go more smoothly. uh, And that's what I do. I just help people tell their stories in a way that really resonates with their audiences at the end of the day.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So let's float back just a little bit before you started Career Tuners. What was your professional journey before you became
2: a business owner? Sure. So I was actually in environmental engineering, which I realized is not really a career path that I wanted to pursue because I mean... Growing up in LA, uh, it's the irrigation and environmental systems here are really established. Whereas I wanted to initially study environmental engineering because I was so passionate about irrigation, right? Like I, I'm from India originally, and there's so many uh, problems with, with irrigation and it impacts farmers so so badly. Can you give me an example of
1: of what uh, the irrigation system is like in India compared to America here?
2: yeah like let me actually give you an example from Pakistan because this is something probably you guys might have heard on the news towards the second half of twenty twenty two The entire like agricultural system in south of uh in the southern part of Pakistan was like washed away quite literally oh wow. because the rains were so heavy uh you, you know people lost their cash crops, people lost all their cotton, people lost all their food crops, they lost all their wheat, and it, i mean it was just devastating the the way i mean especially the coastal areas are being hit by you know climate change it's it's just so bad for these farmers because they're either going through severe droughts or severe flooding and this lack of predictability it can be very challenging but if i if i talk very specifically about india and like the neighborhood i grew up in there was like this little river um that ran basically along the drive of me going to school as a little kid mm-hmm. and i remember that river during the drought months there would be little shanties that people would put together using like tin roofs and sticks and they would basically live there and all of their bathroom stuff their laundry their cooking water it's all coming from this river which is getting filthier and filthier as the drought or as the hot dry months progress and that's because it's obviously getting more concentrated and and it's it's collecting more and more waste and in the flooding season it's washing their homes away. Oh wow. Right. So so that's what I used to see on the way to school. And I was like, this is the there there's the solutions to this. I know there's solutions to this. Like when it came to America, I saw everything is so regulated and there are proper uh irrigation systems that direct the flow of drought, I mean of flooding and you know, that that give people sus uh What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Predictable, Mm -hmm. predictable flows of water when when there's a drought. So, you know, we living in Southern California. We're very familiar with this and we really take it for granted. But I think the poor farmers of the world, this is their everyday. Like I was listening to a podcast, uh, The Daily, where they talked about the Pakistan floods. And there was this woman that they talked about where she was wading through this flood water to get to her cotton trees and like plucking out the cotton balls and digging out just the clean white strands from each ball, like this very tedious and monotonous wow. task. This is all I have in the world. You know, this is my money. Wow. So
0: well that seems like uh, it seems like such uh-huh. a niche area. And especially living in <laughs> Southern California. So I I'm imagining you finished your college education and you had this idea of going into environmental engineering, and then what was your point where you just realized, like, this isn't what I want to do anymore?
2: I think the point was in uh, Environmental Engineering 101 at UCLA, it was... (laughs) The Program was so focused on sewage systems, and there was a formula for calculating the rate at which poo poo sinks in sewage water. And oh, then, yeah, like, what is that rate? I mean, going, you know,
1: what, what, animal poop, poop, what animal poops floats, it doesn't float the much and sinks faster, <laughs> Chris?
2: Yeah, there's all these processing things you have to do, and I was like, okay, I don't know about this. And then later, we had a field trip. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can smell this every day. And the teacher was like, Fatima, if you leave, I am giving you a bee." <laughs> and I was like, girl, I don't care. I'm leaving. Like, give me that B. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. And, and you know, I I just, you know, I, I kept doing it for a while and I kept trying to stick with it. But when I, I, I mean, I, I always really loved people and like listening to their stories and helping them. On you know, decide how they want to brand themselves and how you know what career paths might be good for them. I I love doing that research and really figuring out who that person is, what their passions are. How can we make it make sense in this very broken and cookie-cutter type HR system that we're that we're in? That is the modern reality. So I I I just love that. And I was like, you know what, this is. Like I might not be able to solve the irrigation problems of India, but I work with very talented professionals who are doing amazing things in their respective fields, whether it's healthcare or even marketing uh, or, you know, uh, even sales. The the passion with with which they approach their work and how these, the clients that find me are usually very interested in mission-driven organizations that have a very specific purpose. They feel good about going to work because they know that even if they are in, a field that isn't really thought of as being like, you know, changing the world for the good. They are working for companies that are and and using that passion, you know, they they do move the needle. And I'm not going to be cleaning up the water of India anytime soon. I'm not going to be solving the water crisis there anytime soon. But I strongly feel that working with these kinds of people, we are going to make the world a better place one resume at a time.
1: Fatima, I got a question about the water. Now, mm-hmm. what's the story with desalination? Can we use it? Is it cost? Is it? I heard it's like super expensive. It's more? I heard it's cheaper. What is it called? Desalinization.
2: Desalinization.
1: That's what I said. So <laughs> I heard it's cheaper to ship Fiji water from water bottles from Fiji to the states than it is to open a desalination plant.
2: Well, desalinization basically entails evaporating water and then collecting the vapor and condensing it so that it's just pure water. Right. Uh, What that takes is a lot of fuel. So it's sustainable in countries like um, the United Arab Emirates and uh, you know, the Gulf States, because they have a huge supply of petroleum and they can burn that in order to get to their water because that's i don't know i don't know what is is gasoline cheaper than water and i don't know maybe it might be you know what? but it's, that's that's it's so funny you ask that
0: uh-huh. i have a friend that lives in kuwait and they were just talking to me uh-huh. about how the price of gasoline is so expensive right now that it's like 50 cents a gallon and i was like what that's not but, expensive
1: but, but in their in their currency it's probably it's probably higher no right?
0: no they were just saying that it's actually like that's No, I just, I just heard,
1: heard a rumor that if you live on the coast, why not just turn all the ocean water into drinking water and you're good to go? You know, problem solved, California. There you go. But I heard it's cheaper to just ship out Fiji bottles, to everybody, <laughs> than, than it is to do that.
0: You digress. You're getting us off track, Mr. Smith over here. So, okay. So um when we're talking about how you've transitioned into this other area of your profession so how long ago did you make that move
2: this was in 2010 this is 2010 was when i helped my first client like real client for actual money uh and you know i started hiring career coaches and certified resume writers to support me because my business quickly grew i was helping a lot of people i had a page way back in the day in 2010 on facebook where i was just writing my thoughts about how people should be telling their story and The pages, I mean, the post that I was writing, they quickly went viral. I don't have that page anymore, which is a huge loss. I don't know what happened to it. But it's somewhere out there. And, you know, it was, it was, that was so addicting. The instant gratification of knowing that there are people who are seeing what I'm putting out there. And they're like, wow, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be helpful. Um, So that was
1: Fatima, uh-huh. uh, was that right after the economic downturn of 2008, 2009, right? So 2010, you were saying, so yeah. there's probably been that big surge of resumes that hit the market, correct?
2: Yeah, this was in October of 2010. I feel like things were slowly starting to become stable and things were now like gradually becoming optimistic. So I didn't start my business at the peak of the recession, but we did make, we did survive through 2020.
1: Yeah, well, 2020 is a very interesting year for employment and employers, really, because, I mean, everybody got flipped on its head with the work from home. Zoom became like a trademark name. Everyone said like, like Xerox, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. but in 2010, when you first started doing it, I think Facebook was fairly new, I believe, back then. I think it only been out for a few years. So you're kind of hitting mm-hmm, the ground running mm-hmm. from the beginning, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a very different Facebook is what I remember. I stopped using Facebook after a while, and then kind of moved things over to LinkedIn. So now when I go on to Facebook, I'm like, what? <laughs> what is all this?
0: <laughs> so when you got your start, what was what were people using like primary platforms for developing their resumes? Were they using Microsoft Word? Because I know technology has evolved so much, or were I mean. Were people using typewriters, I don't. I can't even. Yeah, fathom. I, did, I
1: did on a typewriter in two thousand
0: and ten.
2: You know. Though
1: maybe, maybe I did on my crayon. I don't know.
2: <laughs> in Comic Sans font, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but it, it. You know, it's it's interesting that you asked that. Like, I I feel that while we have evolved a lot from a technological perspective, a lot of the HR systems that these companies are using have not. So having a resume that's like universally legible still in a plain black and white Microsoft document, it is the way to go. Uh, It does help the most people be able to access what you're sharing. I know there's a lot of trends out there to like, um, you know, have TikTok resumes and to have like websites that are basically like video games around your resume and around your career history. And I think these are very creative ways to showcase your expertise if let's say, for example, video content generation or video game development where your specific skill sets. However, the traditional resume is what most people still use to at least get that first impression. And then they'll click around to see if you have anything interesting, like a video portfolio or a web portfolio or, you know, anything interesting that they can look at to assess your candidacy further. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, there's this famous section of the movie. I'm sure you're familiar with it from a Legally Blonde, where Elle Woods hands mm-hmm. her resume to her professor and it's pink and scented. Uh, do you think that adding flair like that or adding... Chris and I actually on our first podcast episode talked about people that were using bitmojis as like their mm-hmm. profile photo on their resume. Do you think that adding flair like that detracts or adds to people's perceptions of you as a professional?
2: I think it really depends on how, like the medium of how the resume is being read. Like if you're going to an in-person networking event and you're handing people a scented resume, I think that's a different medium than if you are handing someone your resume who happens to be in HR. And what's probably going to happen is that HR person is going to take that stack of resumes that they got at a networking event, go home, scan them. And that you know, that scanned image is going to get uploaded to their applicant tracking system and, you know, a a text to, or sorry, an image to text processor is going to parse that and read through it. And if you have like a really beautiful resume with lots of colors and columns and graphics, there's a high chance that that process is going to jumble things up Mm -hmm. versus if you have something really boring and and frankly, like traditional, you know? And, And I know that's not a very... You know, attractive and and <laughs> I know that's not a very attractive thing to say, but it's it's the reality. It's it's the more traditional you look, the the fewer red flags you kind of raise. And red flags, these huh? these processes, it, it does because I mean there is a lot of personality that we can show in our design, but I like to say put your personality in the content. Like, use words that really describe what you do if you okay. if it makes you feel good, add a one line bio at the end of your resume that shows, for example, your hobbies. and this is actually a piece of advice that I gave a client recently who you know he was like, look i I know i'm i'm sixty five but I feel forty five and I want a job that reflects that." But I feel like people are looking at my resume and being like, "Oh, this guy is not going to have the energy." But I'm like very modern; like I know all of the tech, and I can do really good. So what we did is we kind of we shrunk his resume down to a length that didn't age him, and then we added a one line bio at the end that said he was a triathlete. Because I mean, what sixty five year old is a triathlete? Right. That screamed youth and energy. But so there are they even know? ways that you can.
1: How would uh-huh. even how would they, how would someone even know your age on a resume?
2: They can assess your age from if you put like your date of graduation, they can add, you know, oh. what is it? subtract 22 and then subtract oh. the year.
1: Okay. Say so say graduated high school in 1945. <laughs> but, but so my major question, because I never knew the answer to this. And hopefully you can help me out here. What's the difference between a resume and a cover letter?
2: A uh, cover letter traditionally would like cover your resume. So you'd like mail your resume out to companies and then they would see, oh, this is a cover letter. Let me open this up, and there would be the resume. But the resumes have been
1: the same thing. They've been the cover letter and the resume look identical to each other. So, like, oh, this is a cover letter, this one's a resume, but they look the same. (laughs) are
0: you looking at? I'm telling
1: you, that's all I've ever known.
0: Okay, okay, no judgment. A little bit of judgment. Okay,
2: Chris, I'll I'll text you later and work on your cover letter for you
1: because (laughs) my cover letter is
0: my smile. No, but I get that. So, for individuals that, so, you know, Chris and I have been talking about this, and, you know, he's definitely been building his business and been thinking of a transition in his career in the, you know, not so distant future. But, you know, for an individual like Chris that is maybe putting together a professional resume for the first time in many years, maybe since pre 2010, how would you advise him to get started?
2: The first thing is to understand like who's going to be looking at your resume and what their business needs are. So ideally, if you have like a job description or a job listing that you're applying against, you can look at that and you can build your resume around that. You know, what are they looking for? what are what's on there that, you know, like when you're reading between the lines, what can you assess about their culture? Like do they want somebody who's really good at doing a lot of things or do they want someone who's very very specialized on just like one thing and 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 having you know assessing that can help you build your resume so that you're not including a bunch of stuff on your resume that is not immediately relevant to their hiring needs because if you're doing that there's a risk that all of the stuff that isn't relevant to what they're looking for is diluting the positive impact that they would otherwise get from so, whatever else is relevant.
1: So you're saying, Fatima, you should say you should have like a resume for each type of job you're applying for, like a resume for this type of job or a resume for that type of job? Exactly. Exactly. So, so and the resumes, more types
2: of jobs you're applying to, like the more chaotic it's going to get. Yeah. But I don't advise that because... Like Chris, like if you're going to go to like a dinner party and then you're gonna be like, hey, I'm interested in in marketing and also sales and also teaching and like they're not your the your friends and family aren't gonna know what to help you with, right? And we underestimate the power of our network. Like if you can go in and singularly say, Hey, I help podcasts go viral, that's smaller. And the and the segment of people who can hire you is smaller, but there's a very specific message that the people at that dinner party are going to be able to take away. So I highly recommend having a very focused approach to a job search. I mean, like you can have two different goals. I feel like that's okay. Or you can have a broader goal where you're like, I'm generally interested in digital marketing and like a variety of different industries. I feel like that's fine because you can still have a very solid message around that. But if your message is blurry and muddled, people aren't going to be able to help you.
1: So I was told many years ago, when you were creating a resume, this is probably when I was probably in the earlier days of my career, I would say. So it didn't have a lot to put on the resume. I had enough, but I heard that it always has to be one page. Now, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Mm -hmm. I don't think that advice is relevant anymore for the modern world if you have more than five years of experience because these resumes are being parsed by these applicant tracking systems that are looking for keywords and if you have like 30 years of experience and you're jamming it all into one page All it's going to get from that is basically your job titles, especially if you've moved around a lot. So giving yourself the wiggle room to go to two pages allows you to talk a little bit more about what you have to offer. But with that being said, that first page has to be really interesting so that they go on to read the second page. You want the resume to be very attractive to not just the person who's reading the resume, but also the applicant tracking system. Like You want it to be optimized for that process as well.
1: Oh really? Like uh, Google? What do you call it? The uh,
2: is it like AI? Yeah, exactly. It's it, some some applicant tracking systems do have a bit of AI and natural what is it? Natural language processing built in, but most of them kind of work like Google, exactly like a search engine where they're taking this page and they're summarizing it into a little blurb, and based on the search query, they're going to rank you. So if someone's looking for say like podcast marketing. And your resume has that in your job title; it's likely it's higher to it's likely to come up compared to if someone just has that like buried into one of their volunteer experience sections or something. So it does know where to look at their resume, and then it will rank you based on that and based on how many like how many relevances it can put, pull between this, the search query and what you have on there.
1: So Fatima, I have an important question. So let's just say I created my resume. I printed it out on not scented paper, the regular paper, and it looks fantastic, simple black and white and all. It looks great, right? And you worked on it. And I take it to the company I want to drop it off at. I want to work here. I drop it off. Where where does it go and what do they do when they see it?
2: Most companies actually don't take physical resumes, but if you do, if you do happen to, you know, find an HR person that's going to take a physical resume, they are probably going to scan it and upload it into their system just so that they can make sorting through all of those resumes easier, you know, because it's, there's a lot of pressure on these guys to fill a lot of roles. So they're trying to save their own time and they're going to use technology to save whatever time they can. They want to spend the maximum amount of time they have on getting the most enticing candidates into their pipeline, you know, kind of being a salesperson to sell their company and their employer brand to different people, uh, and, and interviewing it and making sure that it's the right fit, going through resumes and all of that, they want to go through as few as possible. They only want to look at the star candidates. And I saw a few people on LinkedIn repeat this experiment over and over where they would just put like, you know, a job and and kind of go through, okay, how many resumes am I going to get? And, and, and they're going to actually look at all the resumes and post the results. Like they'll put a job opening for like an email marketing specialist and they'll get like 100 applications. But like 70% of those aren't even for email marketing specialist. So a lot of people just aren't following instructions or they're just applying, like they're spamming jobs basically. And these technologies are critical for an HR person to be able to do their job well.
1: So the HR person scans all the, resumes. in fact, I think they don't even want, you said they don't even want uh, paper resumes anymore. I think if you were to go to apply Mm -hmm. for a job, they always tell you just go apply it online, a website is whatever it is and upload your resume there. So the purpose of actually having a printed copy, fancy paper resume is kind of over then, right?
2: If you're going to an in-person interview, I highly recommend bringing a nice copy of your resume because there might be a couple people on that panel who aren't super duper familiar with your candidacy. There might be that one person that has gone through your resume in a lot of detail. However, for the people that haven't, bringing a couple copies of your resume will allow them to follow along as you're sharing your story in your interview. Oh, okay. Okay. So my question then is, Fatima, is it beneficial to
0: try and get an inside track, like to be friends with somebody in the organization or have somebody that can speak for you so that if your resume doesn't quite stand out, that you still get your foot in the door? Because it just seems like if there's all of these electronic systems sorting and ranking people that nobody's going to really know what an amazing person you are. Like, it just feels very, what's the word? Disheartening, discouraging before you even get started for people that are trying to get out there.
2: It is very disheartening and it definitely does help to have an in, but an in cannot make up for your story not being articulated properly. Like you might be you might ha- be the most well-connected person ever, but if you just don't have the capability to tell your own story or to nail it in an interview and to defend the fact that you have what it takes to do the job, that connection isn't going to help you. So the first step to you know having a successful job search is to take stock of what it is you have to offer and see what companies you're hiring that have your unique skill set. And I guarantee you even if you're in the middle of a recession when you're listening to this episode, even if it feels like no one in your industry is hiring, taking a detailed stock of what you can offer and seeing who is hiring for those positions or for that skill set is going to help you come out on top. And then connecting, you know, strategically is definitely going to help as well. In fact, there's a very like a single digit percentage of jobs that are hired based on you know online applications a lot of jobs are filled internally when they're moving one person uh from one team to another or through referral or based on like a recruiter uh it's very unusual for people to actually get hired through an online i mean i'm not saying it's unusual like it doesn't happen but but mm-hmm. but the success is definitely higher if a uh, success rate is higher if if you have an in uh, so if you're trying to transition into a brand new industry and you don't know like what do I even talk about how do I how do I build up my resume the first thing to do is take a look at the job description and see you know what that sounds like I haven't done it if I really focused on you know the whole like definition of the job description but if I take it line by line I have done this in one compa- in one capacity or another I have done this in another capacity or another and then you just Write your resume kind of according to those transferable skills, and in the interview, only focus on that. Like if you go into the interview and you're talking about all this experience that doesn't really relate to the job, they're going to pigeonhole you and they're going to say, Wow, Christine doesn't, she's great, but she doesn't have the experience we want. She has a whole bunch of other experience, and we're worried that she's going to get distracted and she's going to move on to a Job that can fully utilize her, right? So, you have Absolutely. to get that messaging tight, you have to filter out everything that isn't relevant. Well, speak to your audience, and then, yeah, right? the speak
1: to you your out. interviewer, really. exactly.
2: Well, exactly. One of the
0: things that I was going to ask about is for me personally. So, I've worked in education for 19 years, earned my doctorate, uh, completed it back in 2021. And it's not just in education. Yes, it's a doctorate of education, but it's in organizational change and leadership. And so I've been just pondering like, well, do I want to jump into industry? Do I want to do something in a more strategic type of CFO, CEO? Because I have other qualifications that would set me apart. But as I've put my resume out there and I felt like it was pretty good and pretty solid, I get these notifications back from these pretty large entities. Like, you know, the, thank you so much, but you're not the right fit. And it's like, I'm, I'm not applying for things that I'm not qualified for. It's just, it kind of boggles my mind. Like, how can I have all of these qualifications and this industry expertise And publications that aren't just education specific and still not even get an interview.
2: Yeah, I would have to look at your resume to see potentially where that mismatch is happening if maybe you're looking overqualified and expensive, you know, because that is another fear that people have (laughs) that, wow, she's going to ask for a lot of money or she's going to need a large budget to operate. She's going to need a huge team. And, you know, these things make people feel really intimidated, even if that is what they need. They need that expensive person who's actually going to bring high ROI. That is a fear that a lot of people have. No way. So that could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I have a small business. If someone came to me and they were like, I'll be your CEO and I'll get you to like a billion dollars per year in revenue, but I need a million dollars per year in salary. I'm be like, I just don't have the cash, bro. Like I, know, I, that sounds great, but I just don't have the cash. You know what I mean? Like there's very uh, there's there's very real limitations to a lot of these businesses. Uh, that could be one thing. The other thing could be that with executive searches, there's a much lower chance of having a successful job search. If you're just applying through websites, like big websites, instead, if you are connected to a few recruiters in your space, which, you know, there are recruiters that specialize in different industries. So if you find the recruiters that just specialize in, let's say, CFO hires, if that's a job that you're interested in, then you have a much higher rate of success. And these recruiters have websites where you can upload your resume and they'll probably get on a conversation with you, ask you about your needs. You know, where are you going to relocate to? Or were you open to relocating to? Are you OK with traveling? What salary requirements you have? And I have found that these recruiters are the kinds of people that you can have the most honest conversations with. Uh, for example, I was interviewing recently with a recruiter and I was like, do you think it's unreasonable for me to ask for like. a year and he was saying no I don't think it's unreasonable or unheard of in fact I just placed a candidate that I had to give her $230,000 per year uh, and the thing that separates her from you is that she has a masters in this field and she has this many years of experience blah 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 so it can it can help you make an educated decision on okay th- this is the career path i need to follow if i need to get to this salary level or to a job that you know meets my work life balance goals or whatever whatever your priority is but having a recruiter kind of advocate for you when you're a c level executive is is very critical. It's going to be difficult to get a really good job. Um, that is, you know, where you, where you have the intellectual and creative freedom to do what you want. Uh, if you're just sticking to, let's say like LinkedIn and indeed.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. And so let's fast forward and let's envision that Chris or I have landed that interview. We got our foot in the door. They liked a
1: resume and they said, Hey, come on in. Right.
0: Yeah. So we got through that first, that first big hurdle. And now we're getting to sit down in front of the interview panel or the interviewers. Uh, I've always wondered when they ask you the question about the strengths and weaknesses, like, or what's one thing that you don't do well, or one area where you need to grow? How do you answer that without shooting yourself in the foot?
1: Right.
2: Well first you definitely don't want to pick a weakness that is going to undermine your ability to com- do the job at all. Like right. if if you're interviewing for like a teacher role and you're like I'm nervous speaking in front of small crowds like that's that's um, I don't know people. like that's not a good weakness. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I hate children like that's not a good children weakness. Are you know like I can't don't, stand don't them. <laughs> Uh, so you want to pick a weakness that doesn't completely undermine your ability to do the job, but has had some negative impact and that you've worked hard on repairing. So for example, if we take a, you know, if we take that teacher and then she, you know, that teacher's being asked, what's your biggest weakness? He or she can say something like, well, uh, I used to have a little bit of a hard time following the standards, you know, exactly. However, I asked a mentor to help me, you know, to look at my curriculum and make sure that I was on the right track, that I was checking up all the boxes. And, you know, this this is this is an extra level of mentorship that I've required. And I think that I'm mostly on track now. However, however I'm keeping in touch with that mentor in case an issue like this comes up again. You know, something like that, that shows this is a genuine weakness. I understand the weakness and I understand its impacts on whatever organization I'm serving. So it has that, you know, self-awareness and that you are doing whatever it takes to help remedy that so that there's no big uh, impact on the work that you're doing.
1: Fatima, I can see where this could be a place for maybe a humble brag be inserted in that <laughs> spot, you know?
2: Give an example, Chris. Mm, I a humble know, because- brag? Yeah, I, because you're going to have a chance to show off in other interview questions, the question, what is your biggest weakness or what is something you struggle with is specifically designed to to assess your self-awareness. And if you're like, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I I come across as intimidating because I'm such a go getter. Like if, if that's what your answer is, then it's showing that, first of all, you have no self-awareness because everyone has weaknesses and everyone has struggled with something. Second, it possibly shows that you have no real experience because how can you have like, let's say, five years of professional experience and not have stumbled at all. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not something that experienced people experience. Uh, And then it also shows that maybe you're not really a fun person to work with, because if you're just going to, you know, kind of be bragging the entire interview and not take a minute to reflect and think about the potential things that you could be improving, it shows that you don't take criticism very well. And you're probably not a good person to work with. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. But what about, I mean, if you're there for the interview, aren't you supposed to be in theory, selling yourself to the company? Like you want to sell you to work there. They want to like you and all the things you bring to the table, right?
2: Right. So answering that question in the format that I shared where where you're showing self-awareness, all of that, that is actually showing a strength. That self-awareness is a strength that is critical to succeed in that job. The strengths aren't just you know, I'm so awesome. I'm so great. Look at me. And I have big biceps on top of that. It's just, you know, I can do the job, which means teamwork, self-awareness, being able to problem solve, being able to take constructive feedback. And that question allows you to work in all of those strengths.
0: And so that's, that's just like a delicate balance where I've heard, some of my coworkers that have been going for promotions is like they'll sit down for the interview and they want to share about what they've done, but they have a hard time actually taking credit for what they've done and they want to attribute it to the team. And so it's, I think it seems like there's this delicate balance between asserting what you've done and not being conceited and cocky. And so how does an individual find that balance in an interview setting?
2: really depends on the role and the culture that you are, you know, that you, as a company that you're interviewing with, because if you're in like a sales position and you're just saying, we, 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 like, it's not going to be, that interview isn't going to go as well as if you said, I exceeded my quota, you know, I followed the roadmap or I developed the roadmap. I penetrated these territories. If you kind of, you know, feel nervous about using that kind of language, you can say something like with the help of my team, I was able to secure this big deal, you know, but I was the person who was kind of the face of this deal or the face of of the company. In in some roles, having a bit of a we, like more we than I, is going to look better. For example, if you are, let's say. Uh, a, a team leader, like a very hands-on manager, management type of person, where you're you're interviewing for more of the same. Talking more about, you know, how you nurtured your team to perform and how you developed a culture where everyone felt like they could contribute and how you helped people feel heard and. Uh, how you had a flexible and open door policy, those kinds of things are going to work better. So it really all boils down to doing your research on the company and the role and kind of reading between the lines. If the language on that job listing is like, we want you to nurture a team of high performers or talent is really important to us. Then you know that talking a little bit more about your team and how you help them grow is more important versus if the language is like, we're a team of, you know, hard workers and, hard partiers or work hard, play hard, you know,
1: like, if yeah. that's oh, yeah, I, can, I can manage that team. No problem. But, um, I was going to say that, uh, so basically apply for the role that being put in front of you to really, you should really know walking into the interview exactly what they want and kind of just steer your interview answers towards that role.
2: Absolutely. If you can also take a look at your interviewer's LinkedIn profile and see like how much we versus I are they using, that'll kind of help you speak their language a little bit more too. It can help you kind of mimic how they like to look at themselves and kind of, but I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, like you kind of just want to be your authentic self in a way that still makes sense. Like if you have a really like you just cannot for the life of you take credit like you grew up in a culture where that's seen as boasting and it feels so icky and slimy to you it's okay like practicing baby steps talking about yeah my team and I were able to do this that's okay like just get it out of your system and you know you'll find a company that celebrates that kind of work ethic and work culture and if you're the kind of person that's like no I'm a lone wolf I bring success to the team. I'm, th- I'm the star of the show. You will find a culture that celebrates that. So I think you know the interview is a two-way street. You shouldn't have to really completely change your personality in order to succeed there. A little bit of flexibility in your answers goes a long way. But if you're totally fake in the interview, you might get a job that you don't even want. Yeah, true. Know?
1: Or what if you fake it till you make it? And you get to a job that... Like you fake the interview, you fake the whole thing. You're totally underqualified for the job. Does that happen too?
2: Yeah, for sure. If like you're interviewing for a management role and you've never managed anybody, but let's say you've mentored a few people. When someone new comes in, you're the person that they go to for questions. It's totally okay to play that up in an interview and have, you know, at least two to three answers focusing on that. So that we I mean we're not we're not like static people like we change and evolve. You might find an opportunity where, you know, someone wants you to come in and be a manager. You don't have that much experience. You give the answers accordingly, you get the job. Well, now is a time for you to develop your management skills. So it's you, I mean, it's not about com- completely being transparent and going to the interview and being like, hey, listen, I've never actually hands-on managed anybody. It's more about like, yeah, I have been sought out as a mentor. Even though I don't have any direct reports, I do help my teammates make sure that their performance is on point. So
0: we've talked quite a bit about the job search process going out, building up your resume, getting ready for interviews. What about those that want to stay in the organization they're in, but want more recognition? How do you ask for a promotion or for more money without being thought of as greedy or not a team player?
2: Sure. So that's a really good question. How you come across as a team player and not appear too greedy, um, It's important that your accomplishments be very visible, right? Like you don't want to be doing a whole bunch of work that nobody knows about. You don't want people to be taking credit for your work. So whenever you, you know, ideally you should be having regular quarterly performance evaluations where you are presenting everything you achieve to your manager. And if that's not happening, you need to manage that yourself. Like you need to have monthly calls with your manager where, you know, you're sending an email to your manager, if you want if you want to set something like this up, this is how I would approach it. I would send my, my manager an email and I would say, hey, can I have like, you know, 20 minutes of your time to discuss my performance and to discuss some of the projects that I've been working on to see if I'm on the right track and if there's anything else that I could be improving. So in those meetings, you would say, so this is what I have achieved in this past period, in this past month, past quarter, past year, whatever is there anything specific that you'd like me to work on in the next period? Can we put together like a smart goal so that we're both on the same page about what it is that I exactly need to achieve? What are your biggest headaches right now that you wish someone would come in and solve? You know, you're having these brainstorming sessions to see that, you know, to to see if there's any potential for further growth, but at the same time, you're reiterating the value that you've already brought. So that's step one. And then step two is once you're, you know, completely sure that, First of all, your manager takes you as, you know, as a serious worker and they like you and they feel that you are a good contributor to the team. The second step is to ask for a promotion or a raise. And, you know, it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be like, listen, um, I'm being compensated unfairly and I would like an at, at least a 20% raise. It can be something like, hey, you know, I, I, I've achieved a lot in the past quarter, this until really stretching uh my capabilities and uh you know my research shows that the market uh rate of this role is a little bit higher than what i'm currently being compensated is compensation something that we can potentially have a conversation about you know something very soft like that doing at least like if you're the kind of person that gets so nervous about talking about money and asking for a raise doing that should not feel too confrontational because you're just asking for permission to have a conversation and then you're going to see what else is on the table that you can have so if if they say like no we don't have the budget for uh, any raises this year well if a raise is really important to you perhaps it's time for you to look for a job externally or if you love the company and you're like it's okay don't just walk away feeling dejected, say, okay, what else can I have? Like, can I have a bonus? Can I have more time off? Can I have, uh, you know, work from home? Can I have, you know, some flexibility in my schedule? Whatever it is that you want. Some, some companies will even pay for your gym membership or like, you know, what are the perks that you are not currently utilizing? See if you can negotiate for that and don't leave anything on the table. Uh, And if you're just at a company where you're, the, the, the culture is just really bad and they're just not rewarding top performers uh, monetarily, which is so so important. please please start applying and you know at least get the confidence because you might currently be making some you know let's say eighty thousand dollars per year. if you start interviewing for positions that pay let's say hundred thousand dollars a year, this gives you the confidence that there is something out there that could fit my skill set and that you know people are willing to pay for someone like me even if that interview doesn't work out, or maybe you don't like the company and you decide not to move, at least that confidence will help you see what else could be out there that would make you financially happy. Absolutely. This information has been incredibly
0: helpful. And so can you tell us a little bit more about the resources that you have available for our listeners, as well as the services that you provide through your
2: company that they might be seeking out? Absolutely. So I help people with their resumes, with their LinkedIn's and cover letters. I help prepare them for interviews to negotiate for higher pay. And I also apply to jobs for people and coach them on how they can make sure they are doing the projects that executives have an eye on that would allow them to position themselves for a promotion. Like if you're, if you're at a job and you're like, I love this job, however, I want a promotion or I want, Projects that you know that I can add to my resume that look really good, and you're just not able to have those kinds of conversations, or you're just struggling with tasks and tasks, and you don't have like the creative freedom to really achieve a lot. Uh, that's something that I can coach you on as well. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to careertuners.com, and I have a bunch of free resources at careertuners.com slash podcasts. Like at the end of 2022, I revamped all of our free resources, which entailed serving uh, serving more than 3,000 recruiters on what they like and dislike about candidates. Uh, and it also entailed interviewing a bunch of managers about who they're promoting and why. So I boil that down into a couple of um, cheat sheets that you – uh, that would be really helpful to anybody who's looking for a job. I put together a resume that helps somebody double the salary that they were uh, initially being offered. Uh, that's in like an annotated cheat sheet called my salary doubling resume cheat sheet, which you can grab at com slash podcast. You can grab my cover letter template for free. My templates on asking for a raise and you know countering when someone gives you a really lowball uh, offer without risking the offer itself and a bunch of other great stuff that you can grab at careertuners.com slash podcasts. Fantastic.
0: That sounds really amazing. And everything that you've listed are feeds into these things in my head that I've always wondered about how to do, but never quite knew how to accomplish. Like if you go out and you get an, a job offer and you know that it's a low ball, how do you come back and politely request for more without them saying, we don't want you to work for us? So it sounds like mm-hmm. you have some really great resources. And so we really appreciate you being on the show, Fatima, any
2: last words of wisdom
0: for our listen- listeners?
2: Yeah, surround yourself by people that are doing the kind of work and are being compensated just like you want. If you are, you know, if you know that you're worth more and that you'd like to do more, find mentors and friends in that space so that you that becomes normalized for you, you know, hearing all of those successes constantly. Uh, this is what my most successful clients do, and it's just one quick way you can really get the ball rolling with your career growth.
0: Well, thank you so much for these words of wisdom. We really look forward to hearing all of the great successes of your business. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com that's k r i s t i n e smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation you'll be so glad you did well that was super insightful i loved hearing fatima's expertise around resume building and interviewing and prepping yourself for the next step uh, did you take some stuff from that that you think you can apply to your life
1: yeah like uh i can actually start a resume because uh Last time I actually did a resume it was probably gosh years before I had this job. Ugh, so that, I had this resume I made, and it basically just add to it at the bottom like different jobs I had. So it was basically the same resume. I just would add the new job I worked at last on the bottom of no. it, and I try to keep it all one page if I could.
0: No, always put your most recent job on top, Chris. Why? What, what? Most recent experience on the top.
1: Oh, maybe it was on top. I forget. This is how long ago? It's probably been twenty years. Was it written with a typewriter? um no it was actually with the ink and the little dabble you dabble the yeah ink and the little mm-hmm. feather you write yeah down the constitution
0: the, the bloom <laughs> 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 did, did you like have your blotting cloth to like blot the extra ink I yeah i actually
1: had like my ring that has like the little like signet <laughs> yes with the, with the wax Kiss seal the
0: ring yeah <laughs> that's
1: how i did it pretty much that's no, so funny. you know I, I think now i heard with resumes is like you know what i mean um, do you really need, um, maybe depending on the job you want to do, you know? Uh,
0: yes, you need a resume, either that or a CV, the curriculum vitae is what it's called. And that's for like certain types of jobs where they prefer that over a resume where it's like, like medical field or I don't know. We use resumes in education. I keep mine up to date. I was actually just looking at it over the weekend like, oh, I want to add a couple of new things and change a little bit in my bio section. But I always keep mine up to date. Um, And actually, I mean, I do love my job and I'm very happy there. But I did see this job come up that was super intriguing just this past week on LinkedIn. So I was like... I mean, I was looking at it and there was like two hundred and seventy applicants within the day because it had just opened and I was like Is that a lot? Oh yeah, there's that's a lot. And I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get in uh get this job. But I was like, hey, I'll I'll throw my hat in the ring. Why not? And so I was like sprucing up my resume. I'm like, all right, I'll just I'll give it a shot. And so I put it in there. I do that every once in a while. I'll put in like you know, three or four resumes just to test the waters. And then I hate getting the rejection letters. And I think the hardest thing for me is some of these are really intriguing positions that are outside of education. And so I always wonder, like, when people see an educator and they see, like, I've been a principal and a teacher and I'm applying for something in a corporate space, like, do they even take it seriously?
1: Well, I was kind of wondering if they would take me seriously if I was going to put a resume out there with something different than the truck driving career I've had. Yeah. Because I'm thinking that's, if if my resume is just full of like truck driving and driving related jobs, then I want to say I want to do something totally different. They're going to say, you have no experience in this role. You experienced doing this. You know, how can we trust you? That's where I'm yeah. thinking that I need to figure out a better angle than just the resume by itself.
0: Right. I think that so many people are faced with that same type of quandary where it's like I'm ready to change my profession and they don't want to have to start from the bottom because they already have years of experience in their career. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is or how to like get people to look at your resume and then not to think like, oh, my gosh, it's going to take so much time for them to get caught up. You know what I mean? That's
1: why that's why when you create your resume. You got to use really creative, clever words like. Um, I am a marketing strategist, personnel department, educator.
0: (laughs) No, that's when somebody's BS meter goes like, ding, 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 ding. Like that is a fake experience. I'm a social
1: media content expertise advisor.
0: You're just coming up with stuff. Or I would about, like to see you build a fake resume. I want to see what titles you come up with. That's what you should do is uh, you should create a, a fake resume. Well, create a resume where you inflate your experiences and see what oh, it looks yeah, like. like.
1: I was a CEO of Doritos. No, no. like I was uh, I worked I worked the marketing department of Coca-Cola. And no, 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 no. I-, I mean
0: like taking your experiences, but changing the title so that it sounds fancier so like right now you just say to people oh i'm a truck driver and you were like and i say oh that you're um in the what do i say uh fuel transport i always said i said already yeah well okay so then what else would it be um uh raw energy um i don't know i'm trying to Come up with it. Come on, come up with a good title for your position.
1: I'm in the fuel expert. Expert. Uh, I'm in the fuel transportation, energy logistics, and um <laughs> our um R and um, D department.
0: R and D. You're not in research and development, but I was thinking logistics. Yeah, logistics and uh, supply chain. Oh, that's what we could say. You're in um, fuel transportation, logistics, and sp- supply chain management. Oh, that yes. sounds really good. Although I
1: don't really manage. I manage myself. But you
0: manage the supply chain by managing the vehicle that you're driving that's supplying. But if I want to
1: get out of the whole, that department or that industry, and I want to get into more podcasting industry, mm-hmm. which is always super fun. How would I say that?
0: Um, I would well, just say I'm a
1: podcaster and a radio no, star? No, you don't and, just
0: say you're a podcaster and a radio star. Like people don't listen to that kind of stuff. You're um, a podcast producer. You're an audio engineer. Um, for our podcast you are um, you're in podcast marketing and you are in social media content creation yeah we could totally put all four of those on there
1: yeah i guess we big words in the middle there you know
0: and like, no big for- words people read through that they're like what is this guy actually saying they like throw it off to the side and be like this is fake
1: ah well you know um Hope not. You know, I mean, they, they do. I, I gotta put some bit emojis on there, really. Uh, I'm like a let like yeah, <laughs> thumbs up in the air. You know, like, yes, this is me. Yeah,
0: here, it's okay. So it's interesting. I was reached out to by somebody. She'd followed up with me because she'd reached out a year ago, asking for some support with like job applying or job application for. um an administrative position. And so she reached out to me and sent me her resume, sent me her cover letter and stuff like that. Cause I told her before, like, yeah, I can chat with you, but send me your stuff. And what I always do is I take a look and I'm like, okay, if I was the person that was receiving this resume and screening them for this job, would I screen them in or out? And I'm just very honest. And I just say like, oh, okay. Well, based off of the paperwork, I'd screen them out and what are the reasons why? So I give that feedback to the person to be able to correct. Um, So I'm actually doing some coaching, resume coaching, uh, nowhere near what Fatima does. And I think that she's way like light years ahead of me. But I think that it's really important that people definitely do keep an eye on like their resumes and keep them fresh and keep updating them with new experiences. And then also, you know, try to give yourself other experiences so that if you're thinking that you might want to break out into a different industry that you don't feel so like pigeonholed. Right.
1: Right. Because if you've been doing the same thing like I have and like a lot of people have, when they get to, the, to my age and in the game where you're, you know, you're a dinosaur and you've done the same you're not job, a dinosaur.
0: You're you just know, like a your entire dinosaur. life,
1: you know, it's hard to really branch out of that because you've been doing the same thing forever and ever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm proud of you for trying to learn new things and, you know, do things differently. And you're building up a really great empire for us over here. I love that you call us the K2 Media Network now. That is
1: true. We are officially the K2
0: Media Network. That's awesome. So where can people find out more about our media network and all of its different components?
1: Well, I do have a newsletter I put out every single episode, and you can subscribe to that. I'll put a link to that into the show notes of this episode. But our master website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com, and you can find out everything you want to know right on over there.
0: Yeah, there you can find out about all of the different divisions of the K2 Media Network, including uh, Podtastic Audio, The Chris and Christine Show, Also, Chris's podcast production services. And then I think there's a little tab even over there for Christine Smith Designs, which is our event management company, and also the K2 radio station, right?
1: That's right. K2 radio is going on 24-7 live, 365. It is our music, our podcast, our fun, all wrapped up in a radio station.
0: Absolutely. And we just want to say thank you so much for helping us to continue to build our media network. Uh, definitely make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you found us leave us a review um, also if you would like to you can send us over a little email um, if you subscribe to our newsletter you can actually reply to that newsletter and we'll definitely get that reply from you right Chris? fantastic yep and so thanks so much for listening to us everybody And we'll be back with you next, next week, week.